Welcome back to The Mentors. This is Vadim. And Sergey, And you're listening to a show where we tell stories of ordinary people that became extraordinary founders and creators despite lack of experience, money, or connections. And today on the show, we have Michael Fenchel, who's a CEO and founder of Paradox Ventures. And he's actually a serial entrepreneur and has an incredible story to tell as well. He has been an early employee at a company called Blue Tree Network, which actually recently sold. He was a founder of another organization called Prism FM. He had a nonprofit, a national nonprofit that he ran, and another company called Breathe for Change, which uh, is also a multi-million dollar profitable business today. So today's conversation is going to be focused, as usual, on partly his origin story, how he got his start, how he got his early ventures off the ground, and of course, what he's up to now with Paradox Ventures. Michael, thank you so much for coming on the show. Thanks, Vadim. Yeah, it's a pleasure to be here. So, Michael, one of the things that you mentioned, which is where I want to start, is uh, I guess kind of an epiphany that you had somewhere early slash mid time in your career where you had a bunch of different projects going with it, which anybody that's entrepreneurial can attest to. You know, you have the different things that excite you, different things that you start. Uh, but maybe for a while, none of them were really taking off. And I guess you had some kind of epiphany, and I really want to hear what that epiphany was, because I guess what happened afterwards is you then had three ventures almost simultaneously that started to take off and gain significant traction. So can you tell us a story about that moment in your life? Yes, I sure can. And yeah, it definitely was a uh, it was a big epiphany for me personally, and that also had a big deal for me professionally and in my entrepreneurial career. Um, I jumped into startups when I was a senior in college. I was a physics major and taught myself computer science. And for the first three years or so after, well, actually starting my senior year and for three years, I was trying a variety of projects and never really got anything off the ground. I was, you know, big into the idea and big into building out the product, but I just never, I, something wasn't clicking. Um, and actually, I, uh, <laughs> I took a little 180 out of tech startups for a little while, and I spent uh, about six months traveling around the country on a, a double-decker school bus that I had built out with my, my artist friends. Um, and along the way, just really exploring human creativity, exploring what, what, what people were passionate about and what made them tick. And then uh, after I spent all my money and had to sell the bus and honestly moved in with my parents for a little while, um, I, I started sort of a new... Uh, really practicing being my authentic self when it came to starting a company. I think up until that point, I had really tried to strategize and force it and like, you know, make the connections I needed to make and network or come up with the grand idea. And uh, honestly, what made the shift happen was both my experience, you know, sort of humbling myself on this trip, but also um, my dad died suddenly of a heart attack. And I just really came face to face with the fact that, you know, life can be really short and that while we're here, it's really about living it. Uh, well, what I made that mean was it's about living it to the maximum and being our authentic self. So I brought that personal life experience into my entrepreneurial journey. And like you said, things that before had felt, you know, just challenging and stressful and like I was, you know, banging my head against the wall. I think the shift in the way I was approaching it to be more relaxed, more calm and more focused on adding value rather than trying to be successful. I did have three startups that I was working on all within this, all within a span of 12 months actually grow um, to the point where they're all still around and successful and growing uh, to this day, which is about seven years later. Hmm. So I guess my first question is, I mean, it, it sounds like 
you already had these three startups at least initially launched. Can you tell me about, um, I guess, I mean, there, there must have been some sequence there, right? Did you have one idea sure. that you started with and then the other ones that you were starting to work with on the side? Or how did those three ideas come about? Yeah, there were two that were simultaneous and one came in a little bit later. And the way it worked is I had, I was as a struggling early entrepreneur, I, before coworking was a very popular thing, at least in Madison, Wisconsin, where I'm from, I actually had rented out an old train car, turned it into a, a creative space for entrepreneurs and musicians. And um, that, I guess that was the first thing that actually ended up growing into 100 State, which is the largest co-working space in Wisconsin. And really early on out of that project, we were the, the people in this co-working space, the entrepreneurs and musicians were also getting involved with uh, creative projects. And one of those projects was software that helps run music festivals and music venues. And then early on in the growth of the co-working space, this other startup that is a music technology company now based in Austin uh, started to grow. Hmm. I see. Now, then how do you think, I mean, I understand obviously you, you had a realization that maybe there's other things and other activities that you need to spend your time on that are more valuable and maybe even more fulfilling. Can you give some specific examples of what you changed in terms of your approach uh, or even what you were doing day to day that then you started to see direct results from right away? Yeah, it's a great question. I fell in love with adding value. I I, I really got um, really consistent with asking myself, how can I add the most value to people today? And so rather than spend a lot of time trying to figure out some grand idea or, um, you know, uh, yes, yeah, like overly over analyzing things, I, I really focused on what small step can I take today to add more value to the people that I want to serve. Honestly, I think that was that was the difference. And, and it became a moment to moment practice for me. I would literally check in numerous times a day. I'm a avid meditator. I would start meditating and just ask myself, like, how can I serve? How can I add more value? And almost miraculously, right, I would choose to the way the music technology company actually happened, I think is a perfect example. Um, I had, you know, worked with the mayor on a couple projects of the city of Madison. And he actually invited me to volunteer to help the city build this technology. And so, you know, from my previous lens of, you know, wanting to do the next big thing, I probably would have turned that down. But from my lens of how can I add more value, I said, sure. And, you know, the, the project that started out as a, as a volunteer project for the city of Madison is actually what spun out into this technology company today. So I think, I think that consistent question of and focus on adding value as opposed to, you know, the next big thing was, for me anyway, was a, was a really big deal. And that company was Prism FM? Yes. And can you talk a little bit about, you know, at least in your experience, um, when you started these couple of ventures, how did you go from, okay, I want to add value and adding value, let's say, to one person or a group of people through a project like the, the one that you did for the mayor to then turning that into a business or seeing the, the bigger business opportunity there? Um, do you think that there's a balance between wanting to add value, but then also trying to kind of operationalize a process that can then turn into a business? Yes, I do. And I appreciate the question. My current company paradox is all about how leaders, how, le how great leadership is actually about balancing um, things that can be uh, tensions or competing priorities. Um, so just to speak to your question, I think 
for me, I had, you know, in my early 20s been wanting to, you know, create the next big Facebook or the next big thing that that revolutionized the world. And I was always focusing on this really grand idea. So for me, the balance of how do I how do I add value was res- like now in a small way was really important. Also, with my background in physics and computer science, I was really naturally systems oriented. But I do I do know plenty of people who maybe swing a little bit farther on the like service and add value side, but but maybe could benefit from either partnering with someone who's a little bit more operational or systems oriented or and or, you know, pushing themselves to ask like, okay, how is this, how is this value I'm adding right now actually going to, you know, create more value in the future and actually scale? And so how did you do that for yourself? Like, can you talk about, you know, taking that business, let's say the the venture with the mayor and turning that into a business and and probably my follow up will be how the heck did you start multiple companies (laughs) at once? But let's start with that one. Yeah, you know, I won't lie, really early on, I actually did believe there was an opportunity. That's how I was able to recruit my tech team um, to actually build this with me. Um, so, you know, when when I heard about this project, um, it's a really cool project. I won't go into it, really, but the um, it's a festival that happens in, in more than 800 cities around the world on the summer solstice where people just come out into the streets and make music. Um, it's called Make Music New York in New York, actually. puts on like 1,200 concerts a year or something like that. I love the project, but also really early on realized that there was this movement that was already happening that didn't have a technology solution. And so part of my interest, um, I didn't know whether it would whether it would go this way, but I, I did realize that if we solved the problem for these people that wasn't currently being solved, um, it could happen. So to speak more specifically, uh, we, we spent about three months building out this platform for the city of Madison. But along the way, I was proactive and reached out to several other cities. And so our software, even that first, that first go around, we made, I think, $5,500 licensing our software to other city festival owners. And uh, that's how it sort of turned the page. And I do think it's really important because, you know, once, once a project is making money, once it turns into a startup, there's a lot more energy there. There's more ability to recruit people, more ability to attract, to attract people. So, you know, I was strategically looking for that opportunity, but I wasn't, I was focusing on the value first. And then, and then as we were providing the value, thinking about how do we make sure we capture that value? Interesting. So then uh, I understand now how one, maybe, I don't want to say micro project, but at least specialized project turned into figuring out how to uh, add that same value to other people or other uh, organizations and communities. Mm -hmm. But you also mentioned obviously that you were running now or soon after that multiple ventures at the same time. So talk a little bit about, you know, you have this business that's taken off it's generating revenue. How did you, or why did you even think that you could, um, split time between other projects and how did you actually accomplish that? Yeah, well, there was a period of about six months in which both things simultaneously went from basically projects and ideas into generating revenue. Um, the other one actually um, grew faster uh, and jumped from the co-working space, jumped from 10, 10 members uh, in the train car. And then we moved into a class A space and had about 150 members within the first six months. So that, that one also grew. And I, I mean, the short answer is I was really busy for that time. But there were a few things I did that I think are really, really important lessons. One, pretty early on in the music company, I I realized that while I cared about it, it wasn't my thing. Uh, It wasn't the thing I was going to work full time on for five years. 
And so I brought in a close friend who, who had entrepreneurial experience in the music industry space. He was young, younger than me, actually. He was a, a great friend. And also I, I was a little bit of a mentor for him and empowered him as the CEO. And I took a president role and coached him as he ran the company, which freed up my time to work on the other one. And then in the other company, I actually about a year and a year later did a similar thing where I stepped aside and let someone else take the take the CEO role. And I think it's really important to, as founders, to consider um, what are our talents? What do we want to do and what are we good at? And also, like, how committed are we to a, how committed are we to a project? Because I think commitment at that early stage is is almost more valuable than expertise in a lot of ways. So I, I looked for people who could really take that full commitment for each project to make sure it kept going. How were you able to assess that these people were going to be as committed as a, you know, a C-level or founder-level person should be? Yeah, I made them earn it. I definitely didn't give it to them. Uh, I, I remember for the music company, I hired my friend for $500 to do uh, two weeks of consulting and he just got hooked and I could see him get hooked. And then we did a trial period where he took over, you know, not the formal title, but some of the duties um, and also proved himself that way. I think it's really important to, um, especially at the founder level or C level early on, um, probably always, but to let people earn, earn their way in, you know, and earn their equity. Hmm. Now, how did you, you mentioned that you mentored in that particular, the music venture, the, the, your younger friend, but correct me if I'm wrong, but this was one of your first ventures as well, wasn't it? Yeah. Um, yes. And I probably, you know, wasn't that much in a position necessarily to be a mentor. I think it was almost on a personal development level. Personal development has always been a, a really big passion of mine. And I, I'm, I'm particularly interested in the intersection of personal and leadership development with entrepreneurship. Hopefully we'll, you know, get to that. That's more what I'm focused on now. But I think even then I, I recognize the value in, in developing the person. Um, and I think in that way, I had a lot to offer as a mentor, um, even if it wasn't necessarily from a strategic, like a business strategy perspective. Got it. Yeah. And we find even in our, you know, in the coaching that we do, we've been coaching entrepreneurs for a while, even that various venture funds. And we started doing that relatively early on um, after some startups that we had, some of which were failed. And oftentimes it's even useful for somebody to just talk to somebody else and talk to somebody else that's intelligent and can listen and can think through a problem uh, in a way yeah. that helps them prioritize their next next tasks. Yeah. You know, I think also what's often so underestimated about entrepreneurship is the psychological element and how important founder psychology is. I talk to a lot of venture firms now about because my current company works on psychology and, and wellness and, and connectedness for founders. And um, a lot of VCs say they'll spend 60, 70, 80% of their time just working on founder psychology. And I think even then, I didn't necessarily know it, and I wouldn't have necessarily said those words, but that's where I think I was more of a mentor, was how to handle the stress, how to show up you know, as your best self, how to, how to navigate the tensions that, that arise. Uh, as being an entrepreneur. Now, given that you handed off that role in both times, you mentioned that you were maybe more supportive from from a from sort of a personal level of of helping the the individual develop as a as a person. But um, 
how did you know how to maybe direct them on more the business side or even evaluate their effectiveness as a business leader for that particular business? Because it takes, like in my experience and Vadim's experience, for any new business you start, it might take like a year to learn how to even sell a product into a new market. Given that you just started these businesses, how did you manage that transition given how new it was? Yeah, um, I had a lot of great mentors. Uh, And so that's part of what I absolutely love about your show and even the name of your show I think mentorship is the most, probably the number one most valuable thing that I've found in my own entrepreneurial journey. And so I had a lot of mentors who helped me evaluate those, those exact questions. And um, I chose to be really transparent really early on with my mentors, uh, which I think helped me connect with some really um, impressive people early on. Uh, and I think that's, that's one, one area that I feel entrepreneurs could really work on is to, is, is to learn how to show up vulnerably and honestly with mentors so that people can help because there's so many experienced people who, who want to help. So anyway, to speak to your question, I think guidance from my mentors helped. I would be lying if I said I wasn't involved in the strategy. I mean, I still set, you know, I still set strategic plans as my, from the board position and still was very actively involved on a weekly, if not daily basis, depending on the, the time. Um, so there was certainly a lot of thoughtful, handoffs. I do want to touch on one thing real quick before we move forward, because you did mention the mentorship thing. And I know a lot of people, A, they ask us this question, but B, they're going to be wondering, how did you manage your mentor relationships? How did you engage them? How often did you engage them? I'm assuming it depended on who you were working with at any given time. But can you talk about those relationships a little bit more to give people some clarity into how they might be able to do it themselves as well? And how you even found them in the first place? Yeah, absolutely. I can. Um, it's something I, I, I think has really been a skill of mine and that's been a big part of, um, the success that I have experienced. Okay. So there's like two angles, right? There's one is identifying the people you even want to be your mentors and obviously success, you know, success leaves clues. People who have been successful in similar areas, um, I think is, is a really obvious one. Right. But I think the other thing is that there, there really needs to be a match between values and personality to some extent. I think that mentors often, you know, people who are in positions to be the best mentors obviously have a lot of people interested in their time for the most part. And so I personally have always, I think this was somewhat natural and then also somewhat cultivated, have always gone the extra mile to also give back to the mentors who are mine. And that may look like very different from, you know, I mean, at times being able to be a millennial perspective or something, but more often than not, it's more on the the connection side, you know, being appreciative, expressing how much, you know, the mentorship means to me. Um, and also I really, it goes back to me again, to vulnerability. I think, um, I'll, 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 uh, I'll give an example. One of my, one of my best mentors is also a lead investor in a couple of my companies. And I remember early on, he, he wrote me a, a $10,000 check for just kind of a side project that I was doing, um, as an investor. And I, I, went to Hawaii before I could cash the check. And I went into the water with the check in my pocket um, and ended up like the salt water just totally destroyed the check. And so I had to like go back and talk to this guy and basically be like, Hey, I was careless with your investment. I, you know, the check is in tatters because the bank wouldn't take it anymore, even though I pleaded with them (laughs) because I didn't want to have that conversation. 
but I chose to go in and just be bold and just own it. And I was like, you know, look, like, I really appreciate this. I, I, you know, I was in Hawaii, like taking a break and I forgot my wallet was in my pocket. And it was that moment he, he looked at me and for a second he was like, is this guy serious right now? Cause I was maybe like, I don't know, 25. I had no, no proven track record. And then he just laughed and he was like, you know, I like your style, you know, and he wrote me another check um, and, and has written, you know, several other checks since then. And I think the the willingness to, you know, just live my life and, and let whatever is happening be part, be like part of my conversations with mentors has helped me form deeper connections. So that's a long answer, but I think it, for me, it comes down to really being authentic and, and letting people see, see who you really are. And then I love in that. terms of a cadence, do you, like how often do you check in with these mentors usually? Is it, is it pretty regimented or is it on, on an as needed basis? Yeah, it's an as needed basis, but I really try not to let it go too long. Um, you know, by this point, most of my closest mentors are also investors. So I have, you know, formal, formal reasons to, you know, give them a monthly update and check in. Um, but, but even for the ones that aren't, um, or, or until they, until they have been, if I was dealing with a problem, like this is where the vulnerability comes in. Like if I'm facing a problem, I really do. I ask myself who, who would be better than me at this? And I reach out and I don't feel like I have to have the answer. You know, I'm thoughtful with my message. Of course, I take time to write, you know, here's the issue. Here's what I'm thinking about. You know, would you be well, like, what, what ideas do you have? Um, but, and, and trying to do that, you know, especially earlier on in the relationship, trying to do that at least, at least once a month, um, I would say, you know, of course it depends on the relationship, but, but with regularity, I think people do, I've seen a lot of young entrepreneurs make the mistake of thinking they're bothering people or that they have to like have it all figured out before they reach out, which kind of defeats the purpose. So I would really encourage, you know, regularly check in. I mean, people, people like to help being receptive is actually can be a gift. Yeah, absolutely right, Michael. I wanted to ask something that, you know, I think our audience would be curious to hear. What do you think, um, how did you convince or what do you think is the reason that that early mentor gave you as an unproven guy $10,000 for a project? Uh, what, was the, what do you think was the thought process there? Did he just want to be supportive of you? Yeah, well, the funny thing is that actually was happening while I was running those other two companies. This was a different project. So I really did. I really did go broad early and I, I don't recommend it necessarily. But I think it was both personal connection and wanting to support me. And then also he, he had a, a, a vested interest in the project. I think finding mentors who care about what you're doing is also really important. That makes a lot of actually, sense. Actually, was that, was that a formal investment that he made? Yes, like, it was. Okay. Yeah. Yeah, but I mean, it, it didn't turn into anything. It was a, a mission-driven company that ended up having a small impact, and then we closed it up. Gotcha. Well, I really like, actually, your approach. I mean, I know you said you wouldn't necessarily recommend going wide, but what we like to tell people is, I mean, look, a lot of people listen to the show because they want to hear formula. They want to hear how somebody else did it to see if they could replicate it or emulate it and, and hopefully have the same success. But Time and time again, there are certain characteristics that, of course, contribute to success, but there almost ever, never is a formula. And what I like about your approach is it's, there's two things about it. First of all, it's what you wanted to do. You had these multiple projects. You had these multiple opportunities that happened to start coming together at the same time, and you activated the, them at the same time. Nobody, There's no rule that says you have to work on one thing at a time. Um, so if you're the type of person that can pull it off and commit and actually take it to the finish line, whatever that means to you, that's absolutely appropriate. And it sounds like one of the ways that you solved for 
not spreading yourself too thin is by delegating to people early and getting other people to take over huge chunks of the responsibilities. And actually, we just had the CEO of Thinkful on the show, and he talked about the same thing. You, uh, you know, once you develop a mastery over something, you delegate it to somebody else, and then you move on to figuring out the next part or the next challenge of the business. That's one thing. And the other thing here is I think what kept you moving forward is not only were you value-driven, providing value first, and that probably started to permeate into all of the relationships that you've had, but you did everything very sincerely. Uh, It's Mm -hmm. true to you. And in about a minute, we're going to get to um, your current venture, Paradox Ventures, uh, which we uh, talked about a few meetings ago, and I remember you telling me how that came out of, you know, your the idea that you wanted to work on something that was truly meaningful to you. But I think by staying sincere uh, is why these things just kind of started working. I think that's really insightful. I, I would agree. So before we talk about paradox, I, I don't want to skip over this because it is part of your story. Can you tell me how? Breathe for Change goes into the mix because you're a co-founder and president there, and it is a company right now that's doing about four million a year. It's a profitable business. It has twelve full-time employees, a hundred contractors. It's another venture <laughs> that you yeah. got off the ground and started running. So, talk a little bit about that, and then maybe even in the same breath, you can talk about and transition into how that led to starting Paradox Ventures. Sure. Yeah. Thanks. Yeah. Breathe for Change has been is is an amazing company, um, and I my the founder and CEO. So I was co-founder and president. Um, is a woman named Ilana Nankin who got her PhD out of University of Wisconsin. She's actually a former classroom teacher. And through her experiences teaching and in her PhD research, she found that educators are incredibly stressed and overwhelmed, and they really don't have a lot of tools or support to take care of them. And so we together created the world's first and only 200-hour yoga teacher training um, that specifically focused on educators. So it certifies school teachers as yoga instructors, and then equips them with tools and, and strategies to go into the classroom and, and, you know, support the students in their mind, body, wellness, and their social, emotional learning. Um, you know, it's honestly, it's another example where early on, I, I really, Ilana had just started the company. Um, she's an educator through and through, and I had, I'm also really passionate about personal development, leadership development, um, and, and education. And so I figured I would actually just help her out for a couple months or really early on to like help her get the business fundamentals down. Um, But, you know, honestly, surprising to me as probably everyone else in my entrepreneurial career, uh, that company, even though it was in education and wellness, actually took off faster than any of the other companies that I had had started. And so for the last four years, I helped it grow. And now we we are certifying about 2000 educators every year. Our curriculum is positively impacting more than half a million students um, and teachers and school community members. And yeah, it's been a really cool, another really cool mission-driven organization where there's a lot of heart and soul in what we're doing. And to come back to what you were saying, there's a lot of sincerity. There's a lot of meaning. Personally, I think meaning is, is for me, it's everything, not only because I think customers and teammates really need it, but I think it fuels me as an entrepreneur to really believe in and really care about what I'm doing. And so I, I think it's actually underestimated. It's an X factor that, um, that can't really be faked, but when it's there, it really, for me anyway, has made the, made the, the big difference, which is a good segue into, you know, what I'm, what I do now. Um, paradox ventures is the name of the company. We run something called the paradox collective 
And it's a collective of founders and entrepreneurs who are working together to level up in our work and our life. And we do leadership development for entrepreneurs. We have spaces where founders connect deeply and talk about things that really only founders understand. Um, And we have a really powerful curriculum to help founders and leaders thrive, even in times of crisis like this, to find who they really are, bring that forward into their company, bring that forward to connect with other people who really get it. Um, and, and obviously there's a, there's a really powerful network behind that also. Um, but yeah, that's, that's really what I've been focused on the most now. And it really has grown out of my own experiences as, as an entrepreneur, knowing how meaningful and also how rare, uh, like deeply trusting, deeply connected relationships between entrepreneurs can be. Hmm. Yeah. You're right about that because, you know, one thing you mentioned is there are certain things that only founders understand. And there's a reason for that. Actually, we like to put founders and creators in the same sort of bucket because it's it's fundamentally the same thing that you're doing. Creating something out of nothing is inherently difficult, um, but then also letting the world know about it and letting the world experience the value of it is also not natural to every single person. I should say, actually, I think it is actually natural to more people than it's not, yeah. but not yeah. everybody knows exactly how to activate it. Yeah. No, I just, I I love that. I mean, I I honestly see myself as a creator and entrepreneurship as like my medium, if anything. So I, I, I completely agree. And it's really about that sort of that risk and that um, willingness to see something that's not there and to, you know, put your whole being behind, behind making it, making it real. With this new venture, can you clarify what you mean by collective and, and talk about the business model model a little bit? Yeah, absolutely. So it's a, um, it's a membership driven organization where I don't know, membership driven organization makes me think of nonprofit. We're not a nonprofit, but it's a collect the word collective signifies that we are right now a very small number of talented, successful to varying degrees, but all of us real like entrepreneurs who have started most of us multiple things, but at least are actively entrepreneurs, um, who are really seeing this as a, a co-creation process. So our, our sort of tagline is we're co-creating a new paradigm of united leadership. And the model is it's an annual subscription entrepreneurs receive. There's a virtual component um, where, you know, you pay and you get a year's worth of group coaching with other founders and entrepreneurs, workshops every month in our curriculum. That's essentially taking the best of mindfulness and leadership development and specifically tailoring it to entrepreneurs. And you go through the program with a group of 20 other entrepreneurs as part of the Paradox Collective. So you form super deep bonds and connections with each other. Um, so that's the core, the core model. And then, you know, well, before COVID and I'm sure after COVID, we also do in-person summits where people come to get entrepreneurs and leaders come together for a three-day deep dive, um, you know, really transformational work. And both, both on the personal side and the professional side. So that, that's our model. And, and, and it's about currently half funded by individuals as entrepreneurs who cover the cost or a lot of companies or some VCs also fund it for their, for their leaders. Mm-hmm. Interesting. I'm curious, you know, obviously you've had a bunch of ventures under your wing. So you had some idea of how you're going to execute this one and you've already done work in education. Uh, but when you were coming up with the concept for Paradox, how confident were you that the model and the structure and the format of the program that you now have was going to be the right one? And how did you 
go about iterating on it until you decided, okay, this is the format that we want. We want uh, everything that you explained right now, the 20 entrepreneurs that are and leaders that are going through at the same time, the subscription model so that people can continue experiencing the community value from it on an ongoing basis. How did you know that the model you thought of was going to be the right one? It's a great question. I think there's there's two sides to my answer. The first one is a little more technical or sort of logistical, which is having done a company in Breathe for Change where we have a relatively high high price training, but it's not recurring. I basically just made a pact with myself that anything I do from here on out will have a recurring revenue model. Mm-hmm. Um, and so for that, for that reason, really strictly adhered to the idea that we need to build an, a, a, you know, an annual recurring model. And then also given my experience, as you said, running um, trainings, designing curriculum, bringing, bringing groups together, I, I had a really strong belief that what we were doing was going to be super valuable. But that said, I mean, I totally, I did a ton of research. I mean, I spent probably four or five months just talking to all my peers, that all my colleagues and peers and friends who, who are entrepreneurs and just digging in on what are the, the, the number one, what are the deepest, most prevalent problems that entrepreneurs face? And what I, what I came to was that one in their own lives, not, not in their businesses, that's a whole nother question, but as individuals, what were the biggest problems entrepreneurs face? And what I found was one, a lack of community, not necessarily a lack of network, but a lack of community of other entrepreneurs who could truly understand and could go through things together. Um, and then two, a lack of a lack of understanding of how to even get started on personal development and leadership development. You know, seeing things like meditation or mindfulness, but kind of seeing it as like something that is not really designed for the life of an entrepreneur. Um, and then on the other hand, of course, like doing business strategy, to, like reading plenty of business books and always developing themselves professionally, but not necessarily understanding how to have the same level of personal development. So I saw those two problems, and I. I believe I through all the research and digging in, which I think is a really valuable thing to do. I sort of crafted this. And then in your, when you started to actually then go through the process of launching this, how did you come up with the price and know how much to ask for, for this, how much to charge? Yeah. I mean, um, again, I'm really fortunate that I was doing this with people who, who I know. Um, and so I was really transparent on the first group uh, about, about it. But of course there comes a time where anyone who's a customer, you have to go ahead and put forward a price. And I got a lot of feedback and I decided on $3,500 for the year. And then we do some, some scholarships, partial scholarships as well. Um, and so this actually is a, a good lead into a little bit about what paradox is all about, why we're even called paradox, but the name paradox is really comes from the idea that as a leader, you have to you have to span things that are so often disconnected. You have to see this, and, it has to be this and that. It's not a this or that world. We see that as polarity. So whether that's the electron and the proton in physics, or whether that's you know masculine and feminine in, in energy, whether that's in the mind, it's the conscious and the subconscious, right? Our whole world actually is built from a really fundamental level. This is where my physics background comes in. But from a fundamental level, our world is actually built off of polarities, and when seemingly opposite things, such as protons and electrons, can actually unite, that's when um, life thrives. That's when the universe works. And so we look at for what things have been divided within entrepreneurs and then what things are divided between people and how can we bring those into more of a united 
way and the a united um, existence. And specifically in this, one of the polarities we look at is the polarity between believing. It's like deeply having conviction that what you're doing is right and questioning, being open-minded and being really willing to change course. And as entrepreneurs, that's what we found is it's a fundamental polarity and challenge that every entrepreneur faces. How do you know if the price of what you're setting is right? How much do you question it? And when's the time you've asked all you can possibly ask and all, and now it's time to, with as much conviction as you can possibly muster, just you put that forward and you stand by the value, right? And so we actually, I actually, through this process was aware of that sort of tension, that polarity between believing in what we're doing and also making sure I'm questioning enough to not be way off base here. Um, so I just wanted to give a little flavor of kind of what we do, but, but uh, that's something that we take all our entrepreneurs through is really understanding when is the time to double down to know that you're right to, to move with conviction and when is the time to, you know, really ask questions and be willing to change. Hmm. Well, can you then tell us a little bit more about how you do that without maybe giving away the secret sauce, but um, you know, what would be an example of a, a, a session or a workshop or, or an experience somebody would go through to help understand how to balance those two things? Totally. That's an awesome question. Uh, and I'm not worried about the secret sauce, really. I think, you know, again, the more people that do this, the better. So to get a little bit more into the framework we've developed, it's we look at each side of the polarity. So in this case, believing and questioning, and we say, okay, both of them have a light side of expression, right? Again, believing the light, the, the, the life enhancing, you could think about, or the light side is like conviction, confidence, right? And questioning the light side is like, you know, open-mindedness, right? Flexibility. But they also have a shadow. They have a, well, you can take it too far, right? If you take believing too far and you just have blind faith and you're not willing to change for anything, you could run off a cliff, you know, literally, but most importantly, figuratively with your business because you're not willing to see new information. Whereas if you take the questioning too far and you go into the shadow of that side, that's like self-doubt, right? You're just consistently overanalyzing. You're not, you're sort of paralyzed and you're not ready to make a move. So first we help people analyze where are they on that? How do they typically show up? Do they typically overbalance on the believing side or on the questioning side? And then we have really specific curriculum and strategies and tool sets for them to actually, um, the, the key is, the trick is basically, if you're in the shadow of believing, let's say if you're sort of like stubborn to a T and you won't give up, you have to practice the light side of questioning, which are things like being curious, asking quite open-minded questions, um, practicing perspective shifting. And then vice versa, we have tools, you know, to help build confidence. One of the, to give a tangible example, at the workshop we do, we do conscious and subconscious um, practices with the mind and the body. And one of the things we do is we, we actually have entrepreneurs think of a limiting belief they have, something that they have believed that has held them back. And then we actually use the body and we kind of like charge up and go outside and actually like, you know, actually really encourage people to like, break through that and they actually break a stick and sort of celebrate this this sort of um reflection of breaking through that limiting belief and actually feeling that 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 confidence in their bodies so um maybe maybe that was more detailed than you were than you were asking for but but we really we really draw on a lot of um, mindfulness a lot of psych psychology um and just a lot of a lot of leadership development skills to really tackle these problems no, I love the detail. I mean, that's actually exactly the type of stuff that I love com to come out in this show because it, it, it helps me get a better understanding of how other people and hopefully our audience as well, how other people are actually uh, accomplishing some of these things. I'm curious, given what you explained, are there certain types of 
people that fit the the program that you are have created better in other words for example maybe someone that's more coachable is likely to have a more positive experience here or likely mm-hmm. to have more takeaways and, and feel more impact from this have you identified this profile or that's not as important you think everybody has a potential to benefit from this i love the question um the way our framework is designed is I would like, I I've now come to see like everything in, as far as polarities, right? So someone who's more coachable is probably a little bit more on the questioning side. They're a little bit more flexible. They might actually benefit from some of the more, not, not necessarily. I think coachability is actually a really valuable skill. So I'm not, I think it's, it's probably mostly a light light side expression, but just to say that um, I think the whole way that this is designed it actually helps meet people where they are and then find find the balance and that next level of growth from where they are. That said, obviously with any, you know, community, especially by any company, like of course there's there's a target that we want and who we think that the product is best for. And that really is someone who is actively pursuing entrepreneurship and and or creation. Um, and and typically someone who has at least made the leap to actually be be starting something um, full time. Uh, because there's a, again, there's a shared or, at le- and, and again, like I hesitate to say full-time because my path, just like so many people's is not conventional in that sense, but someone who is taking a real risk in order to, to be an entrepreneur, I would say. And then from there, it's like, you know, it's also a willingness to, to actually be vulnerable, to open up, to connect with people. Um, because we do take a very, um, community oriented approach. I believe that, that each of us can only develop as much as we have the people around us to help us grow. And so we really do take an approach where if you join the program, you know, we have a code of conduct where, you know, we encourage you to play full out, which means don't hold back. And we encourage you to practice non-judgment of each other. And we encourage you to really, really be in what we call the stretch zone, which is essentially going outside of your comfort zone and being willing to, to share things that you might not share with most people in your life, because it can be so, um, it can be personally so meaningful and, and, and healing, but it can also professionally make make the difference if you're willing to, to actually say it like it is and see it like it is, as opposed to, to pretend it's different. So I would say it's more, honestly, it's more of a selection based on, on culture and based on willingness to, um, based on the baseline of, of entrepreneurship. And then on top of that, on a willingness to actually want to really do the work. Hmm. And to our audience, if you're listening to this and what Michael is saying is resonating, uh, we definitely encourage you to check out the programs at Paradox Ventures, PRDX.co. We'll repeat that again at the end of the episode. Uh, but obviously, Michael and his team have put a lot of thought and a lot of, uh, I would say it sounds to me like you put a lot of your own um, beliefs um, and and what you know has worked and what hasn't uh, into, into creating this. But you also have a team that you built around you. So I have two sort of uh, final questions to wrap sure. up this interview with. One, uh, how did you go about putting together the team and, and how did you feel or how did you figure out who it was important to integrate into the team early on. And then two, uh, if you can talk a little bit about how you're planning on scaling this program and making it available to more people now that it's getting off the ground. Yeah, thanks. Yeah. So I've taken a really, um, I'm seeing this one as like uh, my baby that I get to grow my own way now that I've kind of, you know, done this a few times before. Um, So I'm being a little experimental. uh, And so like you said, both with the actual curriculum, we, you know, we really like to, I mean, it's research driven. We have an incredible team. Our, you know, our chief curriculum officer is, has been a leadership trainer at Harvard. We have a really amazing team, but we like to push the envelope a little bit. And 
it, with the team, I'm really kind of trying a new approach, which is that um, it's really myself. And right now it's just myself and one co-founder who are full-time. My co-founder is actually the, um, the, was the founder or one of the two co-founders of that other company I was part of that sold for, uh, had that larger acquisition last year. And the two of us are really the full-time team, but we have, we actually have nine other contributors who are part-time and we're actually exploring how, and that's actually how we had gotten introduced. One of those is, uh, an amazing entrepreneur named Justin Dent. And we've found a way for some, these are all entrepreneurs in their own right, who are owning us in a small area of our startup, but it's, you know, it's 10 hours, 10, 20 hours a month, 50 hours a month as we get off the ground, um, which allows us to actually really conserve capital right now and just, you know, distribute a, a smaller amount of equity to a, a larger group. Um, because for me, I've found that it's all about who I work with, honestly. I mean, it's about what I'm doing, but it's also about who I'm doing it with. And so I've chosen that I love entrepreneurs. This is a, this is a, you know, the company is here to serve entrepreneurs. And so I want our team to be true entrepreneurs. And so we've really found a way, I think for, for a lot of talented, super talented entrepreneurs, people who have grown in, you know, we've got people in that group who have grown and sold companies for a hundred million plus, and they're willing to, you know, contribute 20 hours a month towards this because they just really love what we're doing, for example. And so, um, I'm, I'm exploring on that route, actually, honestly, um, because I, I want this to be a very like homegrown entrepreneur thing. And I'm happy if you have any follow-ups, I, I'll let you know how it goes. So far, so good. Right now, obviously, these people really care about what you're building. Um, but on, on a part-time basis, 20 hours a month, are you are they actually working part-time for and, and getting paid for it? Or are you compensating through equity? How does that work? Yeah, just through equity. Yep. Um, small. We kind of have three tiers right now. We have the full time, which we have two. We're working on a third. Then we have um, the next tier down, which is more like 50 hours a month. And they're getting a small, a very, very small salary. And then the next tier down from there is more the 20 hour a month thing. And they're working just for, you know, just for a point or two of equity. Got it. Makes sense. Thanks for clarifying. And I actually even like how you are, um, you know, experimenting with the, structure the team and everybody's contribution what i i think more companies are going to be at least more startups but more companies are going to be moving in that direction because more and more organizations are realizing that people have varied interests and various different projects and dedicating yourself full-time to one job and one uh, position within a company and, and and breaking your back for that without really any real apparent upside because it's still very risky, that company could fail, even if it's yep. a big company. Um, people are realizing that uh, employees, or, or I would probably a better word for that, are colleagues and partners need to be incentivized in different ways. So it's cool that you're experimenting in that too. Yeah, thanks. Yeah, so I mean, so far it's working incredible. I'm, I, uh, I pinch myself at the people I get to work with, and the fact that they're, you know, these people who have incredible opportunities and already are doing incredible things choose to choose to put this in. But, but I think it's because, you know, first of all, they care about the mission. And second of all, it's exactly what you just said. It's because they do have upside, but the, this gets to work with their lifestyle. It gets to work with what actually lights them up. And I, I really firmly believe that the best work gets done when people are passionate and happy and, you know, feel like they're in the right spot. Absolutely agree. Um, but obviously, this is still a, a for-profit company. And I know that uh, you you raise a little bit of money for it as well. So uh, you probably are, especially since you've done it before, are thinking about how do we reach more people? 
I'll use the word scale for lack of a better word, but how do we make sure that we have a bigger impact? So how are you thinking about that going forward? Yeah, well, this is where, you know, I think, um, so the original vision has always been a blended model of in-person summits, which aren't as scalable and then virtual collective membership. I think this is where, you know, as an entrepreneur, I've really chosen to see what's going on right now with, you know, coronavirus as it, it is an opportunity where we're really pushing ourselves to make, you know, the best virtual collective, the best virtual leadership development community for entrepreneurs in the world. Um, and so that to me scales up quite a bit. And we have really been building out the model. I mean, right now we're focused, we're, it's small, we have 35 awesome entrepreneurial members and we're, we're really happy with that. We'll be, we're in we're inducting what's the right word we're bringing on a new group in um at the start of may and then we'll do another one at the start of july um and right now we're focused on quality over quantity but that said we definitely have the vision to scale this into a really significant company you know it, it is partially about the money it's much more about the impact but you know without scale impact is obviously uh, uh quite limited so you know we see this as sort of threefold one, we see ourselves growing our entrepreneurial membership. And there is an application process. You know, we do, we screen people, again, not for having created million dollar companies before, but just for being kind of a, just for being a fit as far as wanting to join this type of, this type of thing. Um, so the first thing is growing our entrepreneurial community. The second thing is uh, we're starting to work a little bit with some of the teams from our entrepreneurs. So it is cool. We've done some of this development with, leaders and now they're having us do some workshops with like their management team let's say so we see this as a chance to impact culture on a on an organizational level as well um and then the third thing is you know we're getting an increased interest in investors and vc firms and in some larger companies in funding some of their senior executives to have this kind of development in the longer run um open to having this be for business leaders as long as they that aren't necessarily founders as long as they fit the entrepreneurial mindset because, you know, as you said, you know, entrepreneur or creator, you know, I think to me, uh, we see a leader as someone who doesn't choose to just have the world happen to them, but actually has a vision, has a thing they want to, to have happen, whether that's creating a team, whether that's creating a piece of art or music, or whether that's starting a company and a leader to us is someone who has the awareness that they want that and takes responsibility for it happening. And so for us, it's really about that ultimately, um, even though we are starting with just founders, ultimately it's about leaders who want to um, have a positive impact in the world. So we see, so that was a long answer also, but uh, essentially there's a membership model and then we kind of go more and more towards a B2B model where companies fund this for larger groups from their, from their organizations. Got it. Well, um, there's a quote in there that we'll definitely use. Uh, I like what you just said. Uh, you, you like people that don't just choose to have the world happen to them. Mm -hmm. Um, I think that's actually a great way to, to, to recap this episode. It sounds like you certainly didn't wait for the world to happen to you. You know, you've had the title, at least co-founder, uh, in your, in your positions, uh, basically for as long as I can see based on your history, you've obviously mm -hmm. had a bunch of, um, successful ventures. I'll name them again. Prism FM was one of them. You were part of, I think, Chief Product Officer at Blue Tree Network, um, 100 State, Breathe for Change, and of course now Paradox Ventures. I'm pretty confident that uh, Paradox Ventures will be successful no matter what, just given this conversation, not only because 
founders that have been successful before just have a higher chance of being successful the next time around. But because it sounds like you're very deliberate about the value that you're creating. And as long as you're creating that value and you obviously have the skills to figure out how to find people that can take advantage of that value, there will be a positive outcome. And it sounds to me like you also are prioritizing quality uh, and growing at your own pace and making sure that it's something that you can work on you know, indefinitely now, now that this is kind of like your, your baby that you're, you're growing into something else. And to me, anybody that not only puts in the work, but also does it with a, with a purpose and, um, deliberately and focuses on, uh, bringing other people together and bringing value, you really, you really can't fail when, when that's how that's your North star. Well, thank you. I, uh, I agree that those things are, are, I found them to be a recipe for success. So I appreciate that. And I, yeah, I appreciate you having having me on. I, I love the work that you two are doing, and for all the entrepreneurs out there, I really um, encourage you to c- connect with each other. You know, especially right now. Um, and, and if Paradox is a way to do that, you know, would very much love to hear from you. And if not, I think, I think, um, I think coming to, I think connecting with each other is something that can be really hard for founders because there's there is so much pressure, and it's kind of lonely a lot of the time, um, to have all ultimately have the responsibility fall to you and finding other people that can share in that, whether it's a mentor or a peer, um, is just extremely valuable. Yeah, I think you're absolutely right. And Michael, you know, this, we did call the show the mentors for a reason, but actually, and the reason why we did is because we had been mentors to other entrepreneurs for a while and we figured let's be mentors to a bigger audience. But what ended up happening through this experience is Every single person we have on the show, I mean, that ends up being a mentorship moment for us. Mm. It's a new relationship. And we put much more value in the relationship. And obviously, we're able to talk you know, publicly for an hour now. And we hope that other people take away from, from the conversation that we had. But even if they don't apply what they learned in this episode immediately, we certainly end up doing it just because this is a mentorship moment for us. Uh, it's also an opportunity to engage and have a conversation with somebody else. And and we are all going through this weird time right now in history. And the one thing I've noticed is at the very least, we can something that can't be taken away from us. Well, uh, unless all, all the ISPs go down and we have no access to internet and no electricity, <laughs> but something that can't really t- get taken away from us is this ability to connect, even if it's not in person. In person, of course, it has other value as well, but you can still put in the effort to connect with others. And there's tremendous value in that in helping you get through any difficulty, whether it's a crisis that we're experiencing now or something very specific that you might experience as an entrepreneur. If you're having a problem, the first thing you think of, you should think of is, who should I talk to to help me get to the next stage? And hopefully people can get that, uh, if, if nothing else, from this episode. I love it. Awesome. So Michael Fenchel, founder of Paradox Ventures. If you're interested in checking them out, please do We'll obviously include the link in the description of the episode, but it's prdx.co. As you heard, uh, there are some cohorts that are coming up and applications are also available for you if you're interested. Michael Fenchel, thank you so much for coming on the show. I think you've shared a lot of your wisdom here that's going to be incredibly valuable to people, but we also appreciate what you're doing and we're looking forward to following uh, the path of Paradox Ventures. Thanks. Yeah. Thanks, Sergey and Vadim. I, I appreciate it and definitely excited to stay connected as this whole thing unfolds. Awesome. Thank you, Michael.